This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Boulder Nordic Sport, purveyors of select cross-country gear. For the finicky athlete looking to round out a ski fleet with hand-selected gems, or a beginner seeking advice on learning how to skate ski, the folks at BNS have years of experience racing, coaching, and providing race service. They obsess so you can focus on getting outside. As they say, BNS employs their experience to break down technical barriers so that you can enjoy the sport, whether that means skiing in the park with your dog or trying to make the U.S. ski team. You can find more at bouldernordic.com or their brick and mortar stores in Boulder, Colorado and Portland, Maine. This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. In this episode, we connect with Devin Kershaw, who is on his way from Lillehammer to Oslo, safely, of course, in his car. We break down what became into very exciting stage four of the Tour de Ski, a 10K interval start skate for the women and a 15K interval start skate for the men. Good evening. How's it going? It's good. It's going well. Good. Are you in uh, Oslo? I'm not in Oslo. It's going to be a heat bag production. I'm driving in. School's back on, buddy. Okay. That's all good. Yeah. Um, but are you safe? I'm safe. Are you good to do this? I'm free to do this. Okay. You know your way around Oslo in a car then, I no, guess. No, no. Dude, I'm still in Little Hummer. I got two kids, buddy. I can't, I can't be blasting off into Oslo during dinner time. So it's uh, when the kids get to bed. Okay. When the kids get to bed, then I can, then I can uh, move, and I can start moving a bit for for school. So. Okay. What is that like a couple hour drive? Yeah, it's a couple hour drive. Yeah, and school's got um, all schools are shut down right now in Oslo, but physiotherapists for some reason we are still allowed to meet up in person. So, which I'm thankful wow. for. Which I'm thankful for because I have a big exam. I have a big exam on the 20th of January. So. It's time to it's time to cram and physio is not really a like my exam is something that like I kind of need not kind of I 100% need to practice on people so we have small cohorts like really small cohorts we've been working with all semester so just we're a group of four so we're, we're allowed to meet with uh with teachers professors your cohort is a group of four yeah my cohort's a group of four so it's a it's really small so we're like masked up and wearing like safety goggles and stuff like to do physio exercise not physio exercises like um um not just physio treatments but also like the diagnostics so it's, it's interesting okay so kind of uh, a big day for the u.s for u.s skiing oh my god yeah it's always a big day for the u.s skiing right now and i'm like you know what <laughs> It's official. I'm a believer. If Rosie or Jesse, one of those two, don't win the Tour de Ski, then I'm gonna have to do something really ridiculous. And and yeah, like I mean, they're they're on fire. Yeah, it does seem for real, right? If you're going one two one two back to back days. This is unprecedented. And and to say that from the women's side of skiing, even the men's side of skiing, I mean, you got to go back. You got to go way back in the the way back machine with the Bill Coke days. To have Americans go one-two in in World Cups is completely historic. For them to do it two races in a row, back to back, that is phenomenal stuff by the American women. 
but before we jump way into the details, I have to say this because cross country skiing, like, I mean, I was following the race closely today. It was an exciting one. Um, I've raced in Toblak. I've had some great races in Toblak myself, actually, as an athlete. And, you know, we all have, not we, I'm retired and out of shape, but um, professional athletes, you, you, you hear about this all the time when it comes to Alpine, where, where you have guys that do really, guys or ladies that do really, really well in certain courses because they have good experiences there and they know it really well, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, they're they're pushing a lot of G's and going like 120k an hour at least, 140 in some some circumstances. But Jesse Diggins' best course, it's Toblak. The skate course in Toblak is tailor made for Jesse Diggins. She's won there before. She is usually in that skate race, 10k skate in Toblak, light terrain, gradual. It's it's a very gradual course. There's is nothing punishing in Toblak whatsoever. And when you get to the top of that course and you turn down. It is terrain that is made for Jesse Diggins. They're all the downhills where you have to work hard. You have to really, you can't just sit in the tuck, but you're tired, right? I mean, you've worked, you, you, you still had a big working section. The course, you can think of it as like two and a half K up and two and a half K down. It's not like that. It undulates a lot more than that, but the working sections are predominantly in that first two and a half K. And then on the way down, it's pretty fast and furious. And Jesse, as we saw in the sprint in Val Mishter, and I covered to death about her prowess in that terrain in Toblak, it she is absolutely unbelievable in terrain like that and here's what i'll say to that too just look at this just look at the splits frida carlson opened too hard and blew up she did but at the at the other side of the coin on the other side of the coin frida carlson lost 20 seconds to diggins in the last couple k which are predominantly downhill so that says something if you're blown out if you're dead and you're just sitting in a tuck what jesse does so so well is taking her speed with her over the tops of the hills and then working downhills. And, you know, on steep courses like Lillehammer, there's not a whole lot you can do in the distance races to work the downhills. They're fast, they're straight, there's not that many corners. But in Tollblack, the corners are super, well, there's corners, for one. Two, when you attack over the tops of the hills, like, the, 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 the downhill is gradual. So if you're wrecked, if you're totally blown up, you're just going to fall into a tuck and start bleeding time to someone like Jesse Diggins that can just attack over the hills and really bring all that speed with her. So it was uh, it was a phenomenal race. I thought it was staggering that she put over 20 seconds into Frida Carlson in the last couple K when I've raced that course so many times and the last couple K are predominantly downhill. So it, it goes to show that if... If you're in terrain that is tailor-made for you or that you've trained yourself up to be the best in the world in, you can really do some damage, and Jesse did that today. And there you go, back-to-back World Cup wins. The U.S. is on fire, and Rosie in second again. Like, you've got to look historically at Rosie. I mean, this is what's crazy to me. Rosie, before this season, we talked about this already. We've talked about this ad nauseum. Like, Rosie, before this season, yeah, she had a couple top tens. Think about that statement. She had a couple top tens to her name. Now she's on the podium almost every day. And if she's not on the podium, she's top five. This is insane. It's awesome. So it's a great time to be an American ski fan. And I was uh, just a, you can tell how excited I am. I mean, I thought it was just a wonderful performance. And I don't think people can truly understand how hard it is to go back to back one, two in the World Cup. It's it's incredibly difficult to do that. And the U.S. put together a historic couple days here. A few things here that I that I want to suss out when obviously the individual day performance phenomenal by Diggins and and Brennan and um, 
maybe maybe to be you know not to be taken lightly but expected at this point i was like yeah i think it's going to be a one two hit here eva anderson rebounds a bit she comes in third not just a bit okay eva anderson rebounded huge i mean like eva anderson the fact the thing that the thing that shocked me is that she was 22 seconds back because eva anderson's a great 10k skater but she's back on the world cup podium here and yeah you are missing the norwegian women but really Right now, you're missing, let's say, like Heidi Wang and, and Therese Johag. Right. And sure. it's not sure. It, like, in Tobluck, Jesse Diggins has undressed the likes of Ingveld and, and Heidi Wang and, like, the best skiers in the world from Norway, too. So, so I mean, it's these are true performances. So, Eva Anderson, totally, totally. Anderson in third, it was a huge bounce back. I don't know what happened in, in Val Nishtere. Maybe she was just really struggling with the altitude. And like we talked about before, with the pandemic and everything, the athletes aren't, not all the athletes have had that opportunity to have those days at altitude before competing at 1,700 meters. And the U.S. have had that. The U.S. have been based in Davos, and they've done a lot of great training there, and they were ready. Um, and Eva Anderson's coming right from Sweden, and like you said a couple podcasts ago about that, she just she's probably a bit cold. She hasn't raced at the highest level for over a month. And, um, you know, she's trying to blow out the carbon <laughs> like to use a hilarious example so i think that definitely could play a factor but eb anderson was right back in it today which was uh, which is good to see and it's good for the competition too because you want eb anderson back up there it's good for the sport okay and, and obviously you know you, you mentioned um frieda carlson with a with a at least by her standards an off day she comes in ninth she's 52 seconds back on the day i just want to put this and this is why i bring up the the eb anderson placing you know in the context of the overall now so we're four races in there's clearly a pattern of diggins brennan okay as the fittest so far through four stages we've got four stages left we've got a 10k classic pursuit a 10k mass start classic a classic sprint get ready wax tax and then a mass start uh skate up the hill climb in val de Fiem. so that said Diggins is in first overall with a 20-second lead over Brennan. She has a minute two on Carlson. I'm just going to go through here. Uh, Stupak, the Russian, uh, in fourth at 125. And let's stop yeah. there, okay? So how much of it, just kind of reading through a couple of people's comments on Twitter this morning, uh, does Carlson... Is she a threat at a minute back right now on that last climb? Or should we just like wait and see at this point? Because she could be 130 back uh, after stage seven. Well, here's what I'll say. I, I mean, I made an earlier comment. I said, you better have a minute on Frieda Carlson going into the last climb if yeah. you want to win. I did. I said that. Um, but That's today, okay. <laughs> but today, no, I'll, I, I have to stand by my statements. I mean, but, but Jesse and Rosie, uh, while I knew they were good, going one, two back-to-back World Cups, that was... It was amazing. I, I expected, I must say, I expected Jesse to win today because she's so good in Toblock. Like I said, some yeah, athletes yeah. just have venues that suit them, and, and Toblock suits Jesse. But for Rosie to be second again, that's just a phenomenal performance. But um, Frida Carlson was in tears at the finish line, and apparently she said. Yes, apparently. She, she, yes. Not, not apparently. She was. I mean, I don't, I, there's no reason not to believe her. She sure. said she was smashing some chin-ups. Why are you doing that in the morning of, of a raise in a tour to ski? That'll leave, that'll leave to some other critics. But, you know, I guess when you're a 21-year-old 
um, on the World Cup with a lot of energy. You just you just feel like you got energy to burn if you're nervous or something. Anyways, sure. she was she was smashing out a few chin ups on a, on a door frame like a climber would do, and the door frame failed. It broke, and she fell right on her right on her butt. And apparently, she said that her glute muscle on her backside was very sore and she wasn't sure she was going to race and she raced right. with painkillers and she's not sure she's going to continue the tour and she was really giving like this whole sob story and saying that we're not traveling with the doctor we're not traveling with physiotherapists and like she was just having like <laughs> she was having a, a terrible no good very bad day and um I, I mean, I felt I feel bad for it. It's not great to have a, a performance where you lose fifty something seconds in a tour format, especially in a race that that should suit you. Um, but I really question why why in God's name are you doing chin ups the morning of a race? Like I've never heard of that before in my life, and I hope I never hear of that again because it makes absolutely zero sense uh, to do that. But the fact of the matter, and then she's doing it on the on like a door frame, so it's like this is climber training. You know what I mean? This is what climbers do. <laughs> And uh, like 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 rock like rock like rock climbers, not 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 climbers of hills like uh, like Frida Carlson on skis or running. Um, but anyway, so so that, but that is a story that we have to follow. I mean, regardless, she said she wasn't optimal, but what I saw was she opened very hard and she came undone, and she came undone in light terrain, and that is a, that's a place that that Frida Carlson needs to work on in her career. She is she is the next great thing in skiing as of right now. I mean, like we talked about ad nauseum too. I mean, when you're winning home and colon as a first year senior, you're gonna have that title of the one to watch, you know? And and so it's warranted. But but the fact of the matter is, is a minute enough? Yeah, a minute is enough. And if it stayed like this, Jesse Diggins has Jesse Diggins and, and Rosie, they're the favorites to go one, two in the overall tour sitting right now. What I will say is is the Val de Fiam Classic Race, mass start, like I've talked about before. It's a place that the American Wax Techs have struggled in the past, but it's also a place that Jessie has been scattershot. She's had a couple great races in Classic, where she's been top five, actually, in that 10K mass start in Val de Fiam, but she's also been 17th, like, a couple minutes back. So, you know, we're not popping champies until, uh, until that 10K mass start Classic is over. Okay, so one of the things I, I want to bring up, and this is more uh, like organizationally for the race and and position. And this this uh, we've gotten a couple of, I don't know, there was a Facebook post about it, and there was an email to us to discuss, you know, during the tour de ski how they're determining start position for the interval starts. So, for example, um, if you can hold on a second, oh yeah, uh, because. Okay, because Rachel gracefully, gratefully posted the starting list in her story. So let's just go through this. For example, Jesse Diggins is the 52nd starter. So she's in bib 52, the last person today. So she has the benefit of getting everybody's splits. Julia Kern, another U.S. gear, 51. Rosie Brennan, another U.S. gear we've spoken about in 50th. Catherine Ogden, who had a great race, I think, in 18th overall today. Oh, we have to talk about KO. It was an awesome race by KO. Yeah, so let's let's just I want to answer this question though for readers. So KO started in bib forty nine. So we've got to go all the way up to Eba had bib twenty two. Okay, so Eba Anderson, yeah, far earlier in bib twenty two. And oh yeah, and Frida was Frida Carlson. 
uh, was bib 24. So a few skiers back to, to go off her splits. So why the discrepancy? You know, the assumption would be that you would want to be near the end to get those splits, but that's not always the case. So do you, can you discuss that? Yeah, for sure. This has been playing around with the starts uh, in individual starts uh, over the last few years. Like I, when I was an active racer, it was like this too. And it went off where you, where you stood in your distance rankings. And essentially you can kind of pick in the red group and that's the seated skiers. So the top 15 distance skiers in the world ranked. Um, you, you can pick where you want to start and start list. And how it's going right now is you have this red group skier and then um, someone with fairly high fist points in between and then another red group skier. So you have a minute between these red group skiers. And again, red group means right now top 15 in, in the um, overall distance cup standings. So n- not in the tour de ski, just like the overall World Cup distance standings. And this is how it works. So they so they they're doing this to get let the people in these venues that are organizing the directors have a little more time to follow the race. Because like we talked about before, individual start races can be kind of tough to follow, and especially if the production company isn't totally on it, which Toe Black wasn't totally on it. Following that race on TV was kind of annoying. They were showing they were showing some weird people out there, but I think they just didn't understand skiing that well. I don't know, was, but that happens in in this because like we talked about before every single venue uh, is tasked with organizing the production company and producing the event, unlike Biathlon, which has its own production company, or F1, for example, that produces every single Grand Prix. Anyway, I digress. The fact of the matter is you can kind of choose where you want to start. And the Swedes, you have to recall, also have missed some races here. Um, Ebba, Ebba is, of course, within the red group and, and as, is, as is Frida. But there also is some strategy there. Because you see this all the time in the men where you have the Norwegians. They have they always split their guys. Some guys start really early in hopes to catch a ride with their teammate who starts a lap after them. So you see that all the time in the men's especially, and especially within the same teams. Um, and just to clarify for listeners, that means like someone who's already started and raced their fir- first 5K loop, as they yeah. come through the start area, someone yeah. else is starting. Exactly. And, and, that and they usually, can catch a ride. And, and since some of these venues have so much history with them, you have actually quite a bit of data. And especially in, I will say, also in the Dolomites or in Italy when it's cold and stable conditions, you can really compare year-to-year time. So you can kind of get within pretty close of how long a lap should take. So in Tollblock, which is like an insanely fast course, I mean, like if, if you're looking at like 10 and a half minutes, let's say, for the men, a lap, and then you just do the math, and then you try, you, you split up your guys. So you have some guys starting really early in the red group field, and then you have others that start last because if they're top ranked, they get the, the take of the lid or they can choose wherever they want to start. Um, so, so that's a strategy. And, and while Sweden started their, both their girls um, early, they picked those starts. And, and, and um, you know, maybe they were hoping to get a ride from Jesse or something or, or, or that sort of thing. That's all I can think of. I mean, but that said, I mean, when you're starting in the 20s, and Jesse's bib 52, you're not going to get a ride with Jesse because the lap is so fast that it's not going to take you 15 minutes. But you know what? Um, that's the only thing I can think of, especially when the conditions were so stable like like they've been in, in the Italian Dolomites as of now. Okay. Uh, to close out the women's racing, yeah, you wanted to make a note. Catherine Ogden, um, let me bring up my other 
all this stuff. But uh, 18th and today. again. And Swirble. I know it's funny, but it's like, I'm almost, I'm, I'm expecting, okay, is she, was she 15th? You know, where is she? Yeah, she's doing quite well. And Julia Kern in 25th. Yeah, these are great results. And and uh, I was really excited to see Captain Ogden have a race like she did today. Um, those that lead faster skier, those that follow American Ski know how huge talent Captain Ogden is, is not has been, is currently. Um, but she hasn't taken the traditional path to the to the national team and i think that's really exciting to follow along and she's been pretty open about her journey so to see her crack a race like that at the tour de ski midway through uh it was uh it was a really inspiring performance by her so hats off to all the american women today but um a little special shout out to Catherine ogden and i will say one last thing before we move on to the men is nefreyeva i don't know man like nefreyeva is just not not on top form right now and it's not her year, and that's shocking because the tour is definitely an event that suits her well, definitely. And I am fairly surprised that that it's just you know I thought I thought Toe Black would be a kind of a turning point for, her, and it hasn't been. So um, all eyes are on her as we move to Val de Fiamme in a couple of days. Okay, so you, I, I received and I mentioned this in the story I haven't posted yet, but you texted me during the men's race and I think you said something like it's the it, here it is it's the Russian championship out there it certainly oh, yeah. seemed that way so they locked up um, oh, one through five <laughs> one th- well one through yes one through five and essentially the top eight spots minus uh, Magnificat in sixth and the the the, the Russian there, there was no, every Russian finished within the top 15, and Torrentev, who's a U23 skier, finished 15th. Um, and then, you know, starting at eighth, they essentially locked up the top eight outside of, you know, the sixth position, as we mentioned. Um, so, you know, piggybacking on that, I did get a, I got a, another text, got it, must have come in after I fell asleep. It's like, who's, who's essentially taking the Russians to task and talking to them about their, you know, something about suspect results? And I did explain, like, we kind of spoke about that after Sunday's podcast, yeah, right? Yeah, and this isn't... That said, yeah, this isn't... Well, it just does... It, again, I also noted, I was like, this isn't that unusual, in particular, without the Norwegians being there. So I'll leave that sort of softball for you. Yeah, no, that's the, that's the softest ball of all time. I mean, like, thanks for the underhand. It's been Russia versus Norway in the men's distance events for the last few years now. When you take away all the Norwegian men, this is exactly what you get. This is what you got all last year if you start deleting all the Norwegian men from the results list. This is what you get two years ago if you delete all the um, all the Norwegian men from the from the finishing results list. Listen, the, the Russian program is super strong and they ski well. They've got a lot of young talents that are coming through the system like you mentioned. And without any competition from the strongest team in the world, or, or tied, let's say, for the strongest team in the world with the Russians in, in the uh, in the Norwegians. This is what you get, and this is why, like we talked about, I like watching the races because I like seeing how people ski. I like seeing how they solve a course. Like Spitzoff, let's say, like which is a kind of a shock. He's a smaller guy. He he has a little bit unconventional technique, especially with his upper body. There's a lot more movement in his upper body than than is a traditional quote-unquote good technique of the Clavo or the Bolshinov that are very, very stable in, in their hips and their, um, especially like their ab region and low back. 
Uh, Spitzoff has a lot more movement, but he was really good from the top of the course in, putting some time into Bolshinov. Uh, down the yeah, down the we're going to get the spits off. Yeah, too. but down the stretch, which I'm, which I was very surprised with, because like, Bolshinov is a big, powerful skier, like we've talked about in the classic Russian style of major power, diesel, perfect angles, really getting the most out of every every kick, finishing his kicks and skating, and has great weight shift. So you would have thought that he would be putting time into a lighter skier like Spitzoff. It's quite a bit wilder in his technique, not as stable. He's a good climber. Spitzoff's a really good climber. But in that flat, lighter terrain like Toblak, I was a little surprised that Spitzoff was able to, to put some seconds into Bolshinov coming down the stretch. Not that it means anything. I mean, Bolshinov still won again. And he's sure. looking like he's good. Well, he put, he put uh, I think Spitzoff gained 10 seconds in the last 5K yeah. on Bolshinov. Yeah, but, and, and not just the last 5K, Jason, but he was putting that in mostly in the last couple K, which is that downhill section, that section uh, where it's rolling and, moving through the woods but it's kind of like gradual downhills with corners and small really tiny punchy uphills that you carry a lot of your speed over that's where jesse's really good and that's where i would have thought bolshinov would also be better than spitzoff at least and you know belov is another skier that comes to mind that's really good in that kind of terrain and he had a solid day today as well but not not at the level that uh some of his russian teammates were but there was a lot of russians all over the top 10 and that's to be expected when the best team in the world's not there Okay, and and uh, we'll get to. I, I want to throw this in there because I haven't posted anything else about this. But I'm guessing it was Sunday. It was a junior biathlon race in in Russia. Okay, so it's like a domestic Russian, uh, and and again, uh, a lower tier. It's not a World Cup uh, IBU race or international biathlon race. Uh, Evidently, have you seen the reports on this? You know, that the doping agents showed up at this race and like en masse scores or lots of junior racers evidently left the scene. So I bring that up. I don't want to like speculate. I don't want to make this, uh, you know, like there's as far as I know, I kind of like to report on things when there's evidence and there's no evidence yet except, you know, a doping agent showed up to do some testing and be athletes left. And they happen to be from what I've read, junior athletes. Um, and it circles back to kind of a comment I made just not offhandedly, but made the comment after reading the Rodchenkov book. And I just was absorbing that text, which is, has a lot of really interesting information about doping culture in, in the Soviet union and in Russia. And essentially you know, I took away as this is so deep. It's so deep culturally that it was normalized that it's going to take a very strong individual or a strong coach or just draconian measures to to flesh it out. Um, I, I just want to bring that up because I don't want readers to think like we're being apologists for like Russians locking up the top ten, top 10 and we're not thinking about things that are going on inside Russia. Anyway, that's a long-winded statement. Um, did you see anything about that? No, you know what? I haven't seen anything about that, but that story reminds me of another story from back in the days uh, when this was rather corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, like I'm not a journalist like you, so I guess I can really just run my mouth as I wish because I'm just some well, I feel some like I, yeah, dad. yeah. But uh, but so but I, but I agree. I mean, but uh, there was some crazy stories back in the day of uh, altitude camps especially in Austria. Um, this is way back in the day when the FIS race director uh, would tip off the Russians. 
and doping testers showed up in a place called Toplitzan in Austria and to see Russian athletes on the backs of snowmobiles like bailing out of there (laughs) (laughs) to to avoid testing. It was like a bad James Bond movie. Um, So like, and this was like, a lot of people witnessed this. This isn't some hearsay type thing. So the fact that that's still happening now in a junior bathon race, if that did indeed happen, that's really troubling and really sad. But it's a it's a story that's happened over and over. And like you said, I think what ends up being really difficult in Russia, and, and, and this is my stance on it. And again, I'm not a journalist. I'm just some ex-athlete that's trying to keep it all together with a family and going to school. So you can take that for what it's worth. But when there's no accountability to coaches or staff that have been involved in full-scale fraud and scandal, that should say everything you need to know about the integrity of the leadership of the country. Uh, not of the country, of, of the sporting organization, I should say. So so that that is that's where my problem lies. Because if you think about like think about some just epic scandals in, in finance, let's say. Okay? In the US. Take Enron. Like like yeah. those yeah. that are, those that follow that or I mean I know I'm going way out on a limb, but like imagine all those executives at Enron instead of just like crashing and burning and like being on the front page of the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times for weeks and years and books written about them and in jail and a whole bunch of disaster. Imagine they just like moved on over and started it like they, they moved over to Exxon. And now all of a sudden they're the COO of Exxon. It's like, uh, weren't you the COO of Enron? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I was. I learned some good things there. And uh, now I'm going to take over another giant company. And no, it's all good. Like that doesn't happen, right? It just doesn't happen. But in Russia, for whatever reason, I have no idea why these old school dudes that are like in their 60s and smoke like chimneys keep getting jobs and keep getting access to these young, talented athletes. And it doesn't surprise me that, that history repeats itself when the people at the top don't move and don't don't leave their positions. So, you know, I... It also doesn't hurt if you wear, yeah, if you wear a Putin number one t-shirt. That can't <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that doesn't... And like, and like you said, Putin looks exactly like James Bond for some crazy reason. He got a lot more hair in that, in that t-shirt than in real life. But um, no, but I'm just saying, I find that I find that strange. And you know what, Velbe is one person, but I mean, Velbe was an athlete herself, and then and then moved into like a leadership role. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about a lot of these coaching staff and therapists and doctors that have been in the Russian squad, where there's been like dozens of athletes in their careers testing positive, and there is absolutely no movement. They keep having jobs. They keep traveling the world. Like this is like I'm living in some sort of bizarro world. So. Um, it's not lost on me. But what I will say, with the Russians now skiing well, like you said, it's not about being an apologist. It's like, watch them ski and watch the results in the last few years. And if you're shocked they're sweeping the top 10, you haven't been following men skiing. That, that's, that, 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 it, there's no other way to put it. We can cry, we can cry doping all we want, but the fact of the matter is, for the last number of years, the Russians and the Norwegians have been a step ahead than the whole rest of the world pretty much every distance race. Sometimes at altitude, the French can do well, and they did do well in, in Balmustere. And, um, you know, they do well in Davos traditionally as well, which is also at altitude. But, but predominantly, it's Russia versus Norway the last few years. So I wasn't surprised. 
but I was, but I will say this. I talked a lot of shit about Germany. Oh dude. Yeah. That's so good because I'm going to read a text I got from some very informed person up in Northern Vermont. It says, quote, the German dudes must have heard you and Devin ragging on them. And I wrote back, I was like, well, to be fair, I don't know enough about the German squad. I know they're not killing it, but that was Devin. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been following them closely because they are better than this. And today they had a really solid day. And I thought it was really they did. I thought it was really exciting that you saw a guy, Brugger, that was that was quite up, that like was in the top 10. Or actually, no, I think he actually just was outside of the top 10 when all the Russians were. No, he was, he was 10th. He was 10th. Okay, sweet. I thought I thought I saw that he was finished 11th. I know he's right on the bubble. But he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a huge talent. He's a huge talent with World Junior and under-23 medals and stuff. Like, the guy should translate into great results. And he's been a big disappointment for the German squad, like, honestly, based on how he competed against other athletes his own age through the junior and under-23 ranks. So to see him in the top 10 in a weekend field, that's a solid result. I mean, like, with the Norwegians there, you'd have to assume that the guy is about 15. That's still a solid race for, for a young German but but what I will and say, he started early. Yeah, bib of course, five. of course he did because he's he's hasn't been good in the in the World Cups ever really. He's had some races in the points. I know we're gonna have a bunch of hate mail, but like, listen, this guy has like gold medals from from uh, championships like World Juniors and under twenty three. So he should be. We expect him to be better than this. And again, German Germany has such a storied history on the World Cup with Tobias Anger and, and Jens Fjellbrich and Axel Teichmann and Renee Sommerfeld. I can go on and on and on. Straight, shoot, straight shooter Schluter, Andreas Schluter. <laughs> so they have like, so, so like they have, a, they have a storied history. I mean, they won the world, overall World Cup many years in a row, four years in a row, actually, they won the, the, the globe. Um, so when, when we're saying a guy in 10th, which really is like 15th with the Norwegians there, men, uh, you kind of go and go like, that's pretty good. It's like you know what? It's not that good for a company, that, uh, company for for a team as, as strong as Germany. They should be they should be having better results more consistently. But they were all clustered together there for Germans. Yeah, tenth through thirteenth. Yeah, for sure. And and you look at like Florian Knotts too. The guys raced in the top ten before as well on the World Cup, so he has potential. And it was just really good to see the Germans have a good day finally from the men's side because it's just been a real disappointment. And um, so I, I, I have a lot of, uh, it was good to see. I, I'm sure, um, I'm sure Schlickenreiter, those American ski fans that are old enough to remember his, his medal performance in 2002 behind Toron Hetland in the Salt Lake City Olympics. He's now running the German squad. He's the, he's the big boss in German cross-country skiing. I'm sure he wiped his brow a little bit and said, oh, thank God we had a race like that with the World Championships coming home in, in only uh, six weeks or so. Yeah, it is impressive. Okay, in 14th place, starting in bib 17, Gus Schumacher breaks through. It's weird. I feel like the serendipity of getting that email on Sunday before we recorded, talking about the men's team, Gus, again, you know, he's, he's based out of Anchorage, Alaska. This is his first full season on the World Cup. He has raced other World Cups, but this is his first tour in Europe, a long-term tour in Europe, and has a great day. Yeah, and, and not just this, not just that. It's his first long tour in Europe. He's a first-year senior. He's coming off world junior gold individually and, as I said, and went on and on 
back-to-back world junior men's gold medalist in the relay. The guy's for real, and you got to take your knocks in this sport a little bit. And in the in the event that is his strongest technique, skating, he's really good at classic dude, I know, but still. Uh, he, he put together just a great performance on a course that would really suit his strengths. And it was great to see. And it was really great to see that, you know, I like to follow him against some of the other young guns on the circuit. And I've, I've sung the praises of Porama a lot uh, over this year. I thought he's been doing just a phenomenal job. Uh, William Porama of Sweden. He's, he's, he's essentially the leader of the Swedish team, which is shocking as a first-year senior. But, but I kept saying, like, Gus should be better than Porama. He has been in the past. So it was only a matter of time. And, and you know what? I've, I've really believed in these young guns, man, in the U.S. I really do. And I think the biggest reason why I do is, like, I talked a bit with uh, Matt and you the other day. They really have bought into this team idea, like the women have in the U.S., like we had in Canada, too, man. Like, honestly, I wouldn't have been the athlete I was without all the guys around me as a young senior. When I came into the team, I had, like, George Gray, who nobody worked harder than George Gray. The guy was just, like, a serious workhorse, and he taught me work ethic and a never-say-die attitude. I had Chris Jeffries, who I like to make fun of as being like a lazy bastard. But you know what? He was actually really, really smart. He was a roommate of mine, and I learned so much from Chris. It's unbelievable. And then other guys like Dan Roycroft, like uh, Gord Jewett. I mean, the list goes on. Stefan Kuhn. I mean, there's tons of guys. And I was so thankful that I just happened to be the young the young buck that got to come into that team, right? And I happened to learn a lot from all those guys and, and progress quickly. But in American distance skiing for men, you have there has not been a team vibe. Like guys, for whatever reason, weren't willing to work together or they never could connect together and and work together as a team, not just as like colleagues, but almost like as a family, kind of like the American women have been. And that's cost them. It it costs you in this game, especially when you're from North America and you gotta travel overseas and spend months and months and months away. It's difficult if you're just kind of like a group of individuals traveling around the world. And you can have some great results. Like you saw some great results out of out of Chris Freeman, like we talked about. Noah's had some great results as well. But this team idea where you really have each other's backs like through thick and thin and you have a similar philosophy and you're working with each other. The American men have not had that on the distance side of things in my career, in my time, so in the last 20 years. But what they have had now is this next generation has this and i've seen it at world juniors i've talked to fish a lot about it i've talked to some of the other guys about it but most importantly like i've seen it live at the big championships and they've delivered on it so gus buddy top 15 first year senior you still got a ways to go to catch up to alex harvey who was third in the 50k as his first year senior but the season's young man and uh, i believe in you let's 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 do it I'll throw the gauntlet down. You're good enough. Alex Harvey never won a World Junior gold medal. He has a shitload of World Junior medals, though, but no gold. <laughs> so it was a great, uh, it was a great performance by Gus, and I, I'm, I'm over the moon for him. And like I said, I really believe in the future of American uh, distance skiing on the men's side. It's just going to take some time for these guys to grow up and, and learn the ropes here in Europe. Okay. Any other uh, thoughts on the guys' side before we close out here? No other thoughts on the guys' side other than like. Well, it's to be expected that the Russians cleaned up. I'm like, it's, it, I'm sorry. I mean, like, I, I, it's boring. I mean, I find the men's races at this tour boring. And I mean, I've lived through, I've competed in races where Petter wins like five races in the tour. I've 
I've been there when, when Ustagov wins five races at the Tour, and I'm sure other people back home are probably calling that boring too. And I was like a part of those races and competing against them. But, uh, but for whatever reason, the women's, the women's side of things is so exciting and amazingly exciting, actually. Yeah, you're missing Teresa, who, who would be a great, a great addition to the Tour, and Heidi, of course, Heidi Bang and, and the whole Norwegian contingent. But I feel like the product from the women's side has just been so exciting. And you have some great skiers, like we've talked about, Netreyeva is not having a great time. Eva Anderson's been up and down. Frida's been up and down. Um, Farmakowski is, isn't at her top level either. And it just makes for some really great, exciting racing. Whereas on the men's side, I really miss the Norwegians, man. I miss them big time. Because when we see this distance races, you know, there is it is a totally different level. The Russians ski better technically. They're stronger and they're more disciplined especially in individual start races with how they're how they're attacking a course and great race for Manifica to be sixth again that's a that's a solid race after a really raunchy start to the season for him so good good to see him continue his good run of form but yeah I don't know man I don't know if you have the same feelings but I find like find the men's the men's racing's just been like kind of a bore not gonna lie to you yeah and I think you know on an up side and i wanted to ask you this because i i don't know if i saw it over the weekend but i certainly remember seeing it it sounds to me like the national the norwegian national team has made the call to rejoining the world cup the weekend of january 23rd in lati so that and that that's great for the sport and i hope uh, i hope things i hope things can go well with that and i hope i hope that um this well i think that their handling of this pandemic and how they just sat on their hands and just hope for the best that they'll just continue to run things as planned and hope that it goes okay uh so far it has gone it has gone fairly good but we have to say like an old an old racer that i competed against for many many years who is now coach for the french team alexandre russelet he is uh yeah so he's tested positive <clears throat> which is a little bit scary for sure i mean when you see some of those pictures the french really know how to celebrate a good day and right. I was just they, that up. they're a really close-knit team. So I'm just crossing my fingers that, that it doesn't go over and, and infect any of the athletes or, or let's say a whole waxing staff, let's say, where then all of a sudden you have you have to pull out and that would be a huge blow. So I'm hoping that it's just a one-off and they have it under control and it's contained. But uh, it, just, it just reiterates the fact that we are living in a pandemic. As exciting as all these races are, as fun as it is to follow, gives us something to watch you know what i mean when <laughs> we really we're all on zoom meetings and i had like eight hours of school today and zoom and stuff like it's nice to have something to distract you but but let's not forget that we are in the middle of a pandemic and it is a it is a touchy situation and some people might even say we're in the middle of a kind of passive coup here in the u.s <laughs> so so there's that too <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah oh my god those recordings were like those recordings out of georgia I'm a Canadian, so I really can weigh in on this. But like those recording on those recordings out of Georgia, that that uh, that was hair raising. That's pretty scary for a leader of the of the free world to be talking like that. So I mean, love him or hate him, uh, I think we can all agree that that kind of behavior um, is something that should not happen. Well, either way, wherever you fall on the political spectrum, so we're not. I'm not personally. Yeah, that's right? what I'm saying. Yeah, wherever you fall, yeah, I will say exactly that. I appreciate Jesse Diggins and Rosie Brennan and Gus Schumacher 
and everybody essentially for creating a, a distraction for me <laughs> for the past 24 yeah. hours. Oh, I'm sure. For sure, especially as you're living in the U.S. and you're there, so for sure it's been nice. And like I said, I've got big exams coming up, and nothing's better during big exams than just like procrastinating. So thanks to all the U.S. men and women for putting up great races, and then thanks to all the other athletes, some of my friends that I've competed against with for 15 plus years to, to keep keep on trucking through a very challenging situation. Thanks for listening, and be safe out there.